Welcome to Worship from Kief on this third Sunday of Lent. I'm delighted to be outdoors today at the start of spring. And we've had a beautiful few days here in Kief as we've moved from winter into spring. And I hope that you have been able to enjoy safely uh, and within the guidelines the warmth and of the sun and get some fresh air. All the while observing the general recommendation, of course, to stay at home. I was hoping by now that I'd be able to show you some colour in the man's garden, but while we've lots of daffodil plants poking their way out of the ground, only a few of these have flower heads and none are yet open. And sadly, of our three crocuses that I've discovered in the garden, all of them have lost their flowers. So no colour yet to show you. Now today we're approaching the halfway point in the season of Lent, these 40 days, which give us a great time to read and to reflect and to pray and to prepare for the celebration of Easter. But actually it seems to me a shame that we spend so many weeks in Lent while the monumental events of Holy Week are so quickly over in the space of just one week. And even those of us who are the church, if we're not engaged with one another from Sunday to Sunday, it's all too easy to lurch from Pam's Sunday straight into Easter Sunday and almost miss out the cross altogether. So this year I'd like to do something just a little bit different. For the past six weeks we have been reflecting on some of the main works and words of Jesus during his uh, public ministry and today we're going to be looking at Jesus' final week on earth which is usually called Holy Week. That week begins with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and it ends with his crucifixion on Good Friday. Now all of the Gospel writers regarded the events leading up to Easter and surrounding the death of Jesus as important and so they, they devote a disproportionate amount of time and space in their Gospels to Jesus' final week. In Luke's case, it's almost a quarter of his gospel. In the case of Matthew and Mark, it's about a third. And in John's gospel, well, John devotes as much as half of his gospel to this week. And so today, to allow ourselves a bit more time to cover these monumental events, we're going to make a little time shift from the normal church calendar. And on our journey from Christmas to the cross, we're going to today begin with Palm Sunday. And in song, we're going to remember Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem and the adulation of the crowds who welcomed him as he approached the city.
Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem is recorded by all four of the evangelists. And while their accounts are consistent with each other, they also add little details that the others omit. So it pays us to read and to combine each of these accounts to get the full story, just as we do at Christmas. And the first thing to note is that Jesus had evidently made up his mind to fulfil what was written about him in the Old Testament, in chapter 9 of the book of the prophet Zechariah, namely that a future king of Judah would ride into Jerusalem bringing salvation. Yet not the swashbuckling bravado that people might have been expected or like a Roman leader arriving on a prancing warhorse. But Jesus arrived humbly and meekly on the back of a donkey. And thus as prophesied, he, uh, by Zechariah, he would proclaim peace to the nations. It's all very theatrical, of course. And uh, if you visit Jerusalem and stand overlooking the city from the Mount of Olives, you will more than likely encounter several donkeys brought by their entrepreneurial owners, ready for that perfect Kodak moment. As I read and reread what the Gospels record of this event, I am increasingly convinced that this event bears all the signs, all the hallmarks of having been uh, pre-arranged and even stage managed by Jesus. I think it's more than likely that on a previous visit to that part of the country, Jesus had arranged with a friend in Bethany to lend him a donkey, releasing it on a pre-arranged pre password. The master needs it. Having made these arrangements, the crowds then entered into the drama in much the same way as in theatre today. Some audiences are brought into the action of a play. And so they spread their clothes on the back of the donkey and on the road and they broke out into spontaneous participation, cheering and, and welcoming Jesus. Just as some sporting fans today join in a winning team celebration. Now, having passed through the villages of Bethany and Bethphage, the cavalcade rounded the brow of the, the Mount of Olives and suddenly the city of Jerusalem came into view with its glittering pinnacles and the spacious courts of the temple lying before them for all to see. And as if awestruck by the moment, Perhaps remembering the words of prophecy being enacted before their very eyes, the, the shouts and the cheering of the crowd just died down and muted. And to everyone's astonishment and perhaps their embarrassment, Jesus burst into tears. Enacting one prophecy, through his sobs, he uttered a new prophetic lament over the city, predicting its destruction because it did not recognise the time of God's visitation. And I wonder how often we are just as guilty of not noticing God at work in our lives and in our midst today. It's great to be looking out for all the signs of spring around us. But how often, I wonder, are we looking out for God at work in our midst? At our congregational prayer time last Monday night, I was commenting on the, the mission of God, the Missio Dei, being God's action in the world that we join in, rather than what we do, hoping that God will bless. 
during Jesus' public ministry, as so often now, the people just did not recognise the time of God's visitation. And what is remarkable, that at the very moment Jesus warned the city of judgment, he was also weeping over it with tears of love. The other day, even before her eight-hour grilling in the Scottish Parliament, my daughter Ruth commented about the First Minister and all that she has to do and all that she has to put up with, all the frustrations she must carry at this time. And Ruth said she must go home at night and cry. And so it is with God. We have a God who weeps over us. Divine judgment, which is really the main theme throughout the whole of Holy Week, is a solemn, awesome reality. But we also see that the God who judges is the God who weeps. For God is not willing that any should perish. And when in the end his judgment does fall on someone, as Jesus says it will, God's eyes will be full of tears. Luke chapter 19 As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it, because all the people hung on his words.
If you've been worshipping with us week by week, you'll remember that uh, a few weeks ago I suggested that John in his gospel was recording the first year of Jesus' ministry, during which Jesus called people to the point of belief. And then the other gospel writers recorded picking up from the second year of his public ministry when the emphasis changed from bringing people to the point of belief to nurturing them, moving them on into a mature and lasting discipleship. In his gospel, John describes the cleansing of the temple as having occurred just after Jesus' first miracle. You remember turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana, Cana in Galilee. And then Jesus, he says, went on to Capernaum where he stayed for a few days before heading south, going down to Jerusalem for the Passover. In the other three Gospels, well, they, they describe a second cleansing of the temple, this time just after Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And there are differences described between the two events and the response of the temple officials. Now, it might come as a surprise to read in Mark that as soon as Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem and before he took any action, he went into the temple and, and he, he surveyed what was going on. He looked around at everything. And then, because it was late, he and the twelve disciples went out of the city for the night. Now, sometimes we are too quick to react to situations. And so the example of Jesus, I think, is helpful. That night, he reflected on what he had seen and what had profoundly shocked him, namely the commercialization of the sanctuary of God, which was at the very heart of the religious life of Israel, where the lucrative business of exchanging money for temple tax and the, the selling of cattle and sheep for the sacrifices had become a monopoly in the hands of the high priests and had led to gross exploitation of poor pilgrims. This had turned the house of God into a den of thieves, as Jesus said, quoting from the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah. So Jesus then acted with calculated violence. Previously, he had made a whip of cords to drive out the sheep and cattle, the first cleansing of the temple, and this time again he overturned the tables and used by the money changers and he drove out those who were selling doves, that sacrifice which belonged to the poorest of the people, stopping people carrying merchandise through the temple courts where worship was supposed to happen. I wonder, what goes on in the life of our church today that keeps us from the main tasks of the church, which are worship and prayer and mission and service, reaching out to people, showing God's love in practice, helping folks to believe in Jesus and then to grow into mature Christian discipleship in order that they too might reach out and help others. Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the 
The days of Holy Week, according to the Gospels, were just filled with all sorts of different activity, as well as time of rest. One of the well-remembered incidents of Holy Week took place one evening in the village of Bethany. Jesus was having dinner as the guest of a man named Simon the leper, whose leprosy had of course been healed. And as he was reclining at the table, remember the, the tables were low and they would sit on the floor to eat. As he was reclining at the meal, a woman approached him from behind. 
Now, Mark in his gospel preserves her anonymity, but John names her as Mary of Bethany, one of the two sisters of Lazarus, who had been recently raised from the dead by Jesus. Mary brought with her an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she broke and then poured the perfume out on Jesus' head. Now in the Old Testament, we read of people chosen by God being anointed for service. And so perhaps Mary's anointing of Jesus was her acknowledging him as the Messiah. Whatever it was that prompted her action, the bystanders were indignant over what they perceived of as waste. And they rebuked her sharply, protesting that this expensive ointment could have been sold for a whole year's wages and the proceeds could have been given to the poor. But Jesus came to her defence. And from his words, we can learn five truths of rich significance. Firstly, she had done to him not a, a wasteful thing, but as he said, a beautiful thing, expressing her wholehearted devotion to him. And I wonder as we reflect on that point of the story, are we similarly devoted or do our priorities and our loyalties lie elsewhere? Secondly, she was not, I think, in any way demeaning the poor, but she was daring to put Jesus above them. Remember Jesus' own words, that our priority should be to seek first the kingdom of God, and then other things will be given to us. Thirdly, Mary had done what she could in line with her resources, while recognising that other people served Jesus in other ways. On Saturday morning, three of us from the church took part in a CAP money training courses, course with the intention of helping folk in the community here in Creef to, to budget properly and to manage their money well and to take charge of their finances. I wonder how and where we prioritise and use the things that are entrusted to us. Are we playing our full part in the life of the local church? Are we being good stewards in how we use our time and our talents and our treasure? And then fourthly, Mary had poured the perfume over Jesus' body, perhaps anticipating the anointing it would receive after his death at the time of his burial. She was all in. She emptied that jar. Now I wonder, do we fully understand our part in the death of Jesus on the cross as Jesus took your sin and my sin upon himself in order that we might be put right in our relationship with God and with the rest of the church? Is our church membership, those of us who are members of the church, simply something that is habitual to us? Or have we asked Jesus to be our Saviour and Lord of our life? This season of Lent is a great time to reprioritize. And then fifthly, 
Mary and her act of generous love would be remembered wherever the gospel would be preached throughout the world and down through the years. How will we be remembered? Is our love generous? Over the next couple of Sundays, I hope to look at the events that follow, the events in the upper room and the beginning of Jesus' final ordeal. Here, Mary's act of self-sacrifice is deliberately set in relief against the background of Judas's act of treachery. And we will have the privilege of watching Jesus' actions and responses to others as he and as we near the end of our journey from Christmas to the cross. Over the past 11 and a half months, we have become used, or perhaps as the case may be, not used to living within much more circumscribed and defined spaces. As a consequence, we might well have become more conscious of the locality, the town in which we live. And here in Creef, of course, we're so fortunate to live in a beautiful part of the world. It's very easy for us to get out into the countryside around the town, even here in the town, to enjoy the, the, the parks and the beautiful pathways. Others are not so fortunate. I can hardly begin to imagine what it must be like to be shut up in a small flat halfway up a tower block in some inner city, or to be a refugee 
in some sprawling camp far from home and far from loved ones. Undoubtedly, the spaces that we inhabit and the places in which we live shape and mould us. And equally, there are particular places and spaces that we associate with the events of life, with significant events and experiences. Space and place are woven into the rhythm of our life. And so taking these remaining weeks of Lent to focus on some of the sounds and the sights and the places and events of Holy Week allows us to see and to understand in more detail just how great the love of God is in sending his son Jesus, that whoever believes in him might have the full and free gift of eternal life. As we've seen today, in our service. In each of the four Gospels there are accounts of the cleansing of the temple in Jerusalem. In the Gospel of John we read that Jesus journeys to that particular space within that particular locality. He does so at the time of the Passover and the journey he makes is made in the company of the many thousands who came to Jerusalem at that time. As Jesus found that first time, and then again a couple of years later, the temple space had become a, a bustling marketplace inhabited by sellers and money changers. And those who objected to his cleansing of the temple demanded to know, well, Jesus, what sign can you show us for doing this? In reply, Jesus spoke prophetically of the destruction of this temple, by which he meant himself, and of being raised again in three days. It's in this sign that we see the presence of God embodied in the life of Jesus and his life located in a particular place and time opening our horizons to the God who meets us in the place where we are today. So let's pray. God of space and time, meet us in the place where we are today. Meet us in the place where we are and transform us by the presence of your Son. In this place, may we encounter the one who embodies your love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of space and God of time, meet us in the place where we are today. Meet us at the break of day and be with us in all that lies before us. In the place in which we live, may we see life renewed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of space, God of time, meet us in the place where we are today. Meet us in the place of suffering and bring your healing presence among us. In the place of suffering, help us to reach out to those beside us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of space and time, meet us in the place where we are today. Meet us in the place of sorrow and bring your light into our darkness. In the place of sorrow, may we become bearers of your light. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of space, God of time, meet us in the place where we are today. Meet us in the rhythm of life 
and renew hope within us. In the community in which we live, here in Creef or wherever else we come from, may we bear witness to the God of hope. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of space and God of time, meet us in the place where we are today. As you have met with us in the morning, so be with us at the close of the day and watch over us throughout the night. Keep us safe and bring us to the dawn of each new day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer and hear us as we pray as Jesus taught his friends. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining with us in worship today. I hope you'll join us again next Sunday. And next week, I hope that we'll be able to look at the events in the upper room. It's such a familiar story to us that we feel we know it well. But in advance of next week, can I encourage you to, to read the story in the Gospels and also in Paul's letter to the Corinthians where these things are recorded. I also commend to you the congregational prayer time which we hold on Monday nights between half seven and eight o'clock. You might feel this is not your thing, but let me say to you, it should be. It is your thing because it's for the congregation. And surely there are more than one in every 100 of our members who are able to come together to pray for half an hour and to enjoy some fellowship with each other. You'll find details of how to join in on our church website, creefparishchurch.org forward slash prayer. Also on that page, there's a prayer for the coming week, just as there is on our PrayerMate app, which you can download and use on your phones and your computer tablets. And of course, there's a chance now after the service on Sunday to come together on Zoom to catch up with each other over a cuppa. Again, it's on the website, the link, creefparishchurch.org forward slash coffee. Just click the link and you'll get through to all the folks who are coming together. Hope to see some of you uh, in a few minutes. Until then, until next week, until our uh, prayer time on Monday night, may you know the blessing of God, the ever-present Father, the ever-living Son, the ever-active Holy Spirit to descend upon you and to remain with you now and always. Amen. <laughs>